The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I can still recall the day when Jesus saved my soul, when His blessed Holy Spirit came and took control. Okay, Luke chapter 11, and you have your Bibles this, uh, this evening. Really what I'd like to do tonight is challenge you, a little more practical here, but I want to challenge you because we do have a week where I think it's important for us to recognize that a very major part of this week and a very major part of the battle is going to be in the uh, arena of prayer. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that prayer is where the real battleground is. And although certainly there are things in obedience and we need to certainly, um, there's steps of faith and action that need to be done, uh, prayer is an essential part of the battle. And I believe in a certain sense, can I say this, the battle for what God wants to do this week will be won or lost on our knees, or could even uh, the fact that we're not on our knees would be uh, part of the losing of a battle. And so I want us to, uh, to in, in thinking about prayer, I, I want to challenge you. I'm on a pilgrimage of prayer. I suppose you are as well. But I want to challenge you this, this evening, okay, theologically about something. And that is this, something real simple, but it is theological. And that is, how do you pray for people who have free wills? Have you ever thought about the theological dilemma that is there? How do you pray? Does God force people to do something? Well, we know, well, I don't think he does that. Okay, so, so we have, we are, we're not robots. We're not puppets. So how do you pray for people who have free wills? Now, can I say this, if I could say this from a human perspective? It's easy to pray to God about the weather. You know why? The clouds are the dust of his feet. The wind comes out of his treasuries. There are so many scripture verses about uh, how God works in the weather that it's kind of easy to pray for weather issues because we know that God has the power to do it like that. Okay, what about praying for, for illnesses? And we don't, may not know what God's will is in an illness situation, but we do know this, that if thou wilt, thou canst make me. <laughs> thou canst heal. Thou canst make me clean. As the leper said, if thou wilt, thou... In other words, Lord, if you want to do it, you could do it. You could cleanse me of leprosy, could he? Couldn't Jesus do that? Well, yeah, he can. And he says, I will, be thou clean. We don't know always how to pray for, for uh, issues of illness because we don't know every, if it's God's will, but we certainly can pray, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst heal me. Or thou can heal that person. Oh, we all know that because that's not hard for God. Well, nothing's too hard for the Lord. I'm speaking completely from a human perspective. There are certain things that aren't hard for God at all. But what about praying for people who have free will? I mean, if God honestly did make us beings of free will that make decisions, and one of the reasons we know we're beings of free will is because the Bible tells us that God doesn't tempt us with evil, and yet every one of us unfortunately make regular decisions to sin. God didn't have anything to do with those decisions. Now, we can't blame God for our sin. We made a decision to sin. And uh, proving again that we are beings of free will, and God lets that free will have expression at times, and, and we see that in, in, in for better or for worse. And many times, unfortunately, it is for worse. So tonight, I want us to think, how do you pray for somebody? Because I've heard people say, and I'm not saying it's wrong to pray this way, but Lord, help them to get saved. Now, I think to myself, well, I get a little more theological. What do we mean by that? Help them to get saved. Well, I'd like to go into that quickly tonight because I will say this, 
that I don't know about you. It's not wrong to pray, Lord, I don't know what your will is, but Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst. It certainly is understandable. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. We, we just call out, God, whatever you want to do, we want you to do it. But I like to pray with confidence that God's going to do it. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. I like that kind of praying. Therefore, uh, it says in Mark 11 and verse 24, when you pray, if you believe that you've received them, you shall have them, it says there. So in other words, that's praying with confidence. So, so God does, there's a certain kind of praying God wants us to be confident praying. I know I've got the answer. So I want us to talk about three areas of praying for beings with free will that we can pray with biblical confidence. Number one, uh, the very first one is, you say, how do we pray for people who have got free wills? And by the way, let me just see before I preach the message. I don't want to waste time tonight. I want to see if we need to deal with this this evening. So let me ask you this. How many have somebody you're concerned about that's not saved? Can I see your hands, please? Oh, well, maybe we should do that. And how many would say, you know, I've got, I know somebody, I think they might be saved, but I'm really, boy, they're away from the Lord, and I've been praying for them. Would you, would you, okay? Okay, a few less, but a lot, a lot as well. Okay, now, how do we pray for people like that? Okay, number one, don't miss this. We must pray for Holy Spirit conviction. We must pray for Holy Spirit conviction. Look at Luke 11, and join me in reading verse number 13. This is the last verse, clearly, uh, on teaching from our Lord on the subject of prayer. I won't have time to go into it. This is going to be a flyover, but I want you to see verse 13. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, this verse of Scripture is uh, beginning by appealing to the fact that a father, even an unsaved father, a father who is innately selfish and depraved, a father knows how to give good gifts to his children. Now, how many fathers do we have in the room? Now, I don't know about you. As a father, I have loved being a father. I think being a father is a wonderful thing. But one of the things I love about being a father is giving good things to my kids. It is a father's heart to give. Now, the only reasons I know that is because my dad, that was my dad's thing. He loved to give. At Christmas time, it was in an annual event, my mother would say to us kids, oh, kids, your dad did it again. He spent too much on you kids. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. My mother loved us. She was just more practical. You know what I'm talking about? Mothers are, uh, mothers balance out the dads, you know. And, of course, we kids were over here, go, go for it, dad. We're for you on this one. And we're pulling for dad on this one. Good thing he's in charge. But anyway, so the point I'm making, friends, is uh, a father has a heart to give. But as much as a father has a heart to give, I don't think I really understood it until in 1995 they put that little baby in my arm. Whoa. Nobody prepared for me the powerful emotions that came over me when that, that little girl was put in my arms. Now, part of the emotion was the ultrasound said it was a boy. So, uh, <laughs> so when the doctor said it's a girl, it's a girl. I hadn't even thought about a girl. I mean, girls, you know, they break. You know what I'm talking about? They're fragile. You know, I was planning on throwing the boy around, the, you know, the, the room there and dropping him a couple of times saying, get used to it, bud. This is a tough world. But this is a girl. They put that little girl in my arms, and I will tell you, I was overwhelmed with a desire to protect her and do everything I could to meet her needs. Now, that's a father's heart. Now, friends, here's what I want you to see. That's God in a way that is even greater because the Bible says if we being depraved, selfish human beings know how to do this, how much more does God, who's not selfish and depraved? Now, what does he want to give us? So he wants to give us the Holy Spirit. 
Now, in Matthew 7, he says he wants to give us good things. Some of us are familiar with that passage of Scripture. But in Luke 11, he says he wants to give us the Holy Spirit. Now, the importance is, and I don't have time to develop it fully, but in verses 5 through 8, there's a parable. And basically in the parable, there's a man going next door to his next door neighbor and asking for bread because he has a friend of his who's come on his journey and he has nothing to set before him. So in the midnight, he goes to his next door neighbor, he beats on the door and he says, I need some bread. His next door neighbor says, get out of here. You're going to wake up the wife and kids. Now, that may seem strange to us in 2015 America, but the average home in those days was a room smaller than a motel room. So pounding on the door and he was... You know, the whole family's sleeping in the room, and he's evidently on the far side of the room. So he says, go home. But the Bible says he finally gets up because of his importunity, and he gives them as many as he needed. Now, that gives us a very important understanding. Luke 11, verse number 13, must be interpreted in light of the parable, and the parable is telling us we're asking for something for somebody who is in need. Now, obviously, who's, who's in need? The friend who's coming a journey. Now, there's really two people in need. He says, I have nothing to set before him. So that means that the, the one asking is in need, and he's also the one who's come, who's a friend is in need. Now, isn't that a perfect example of what I, we're in need? I can't win anybody to Jesus without the Holy Spirit working and convicting. And they need the Holy Spirit to convince them and convict them. So it's a prayer for the Holy Spirit. Now, I hesitate to do this because I don't want to get too technical, but it is, it is the text, and it's just phenomenal to me. But actually, in the original Greek language, the words Holy Spirit have no article. Now, there is no good way to translate it in English, so it's one of those linguistic things, but the, the, the grammatical phenomena brings to light something that is outstanding. Now, I'm no Greek scholar, but I do read a few that are, and I understand that an article in the Greek is similar to an article in the English. For instance, if I'm preaching tonight and I'm talking about the pulpit, everybody knows I'm talking about this. If I talk about the pastor, everybody knows we're talking about the pastor, the piano, the new gym. You know, at our home church, we have a Bible college, and when I say the college, nobody says which one. When you're around here, do you talk about the academy or the school? Nobody says which one you talk about. Because we all know with the article that, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just obvious. That's the one you're talking about. Okay, so it is similar, not perfect, the analogy in Greek, but similar. But when there is no article in the Greek language, it's a little bit different than it is often in English. There is an analogy I'll use in a moment that hopefully will help you. Because when there is no article, it is literally accentuating or pointing out the essence, I could say, or the quality of the noun that follows. So let me give you an analogy. Imagine tonight I was preaching a message on love, and during the message, I give you a story of a young man and a young lady. God brings them together, and I talk about the love that they have one for another. Everybody in the room knows we're talking about their love. Whatever their ears, their unique love, that's what we're talking about. But if during the same message, I'm simply preaching along, and I use the word love without the article, everybody knows that that which I'm talking about is that which in essence and quality is love. Are you tracking with me? Now, what this request then is, it's not a request so much for the person of the Holy Spirit, because if we're saved, we already have him. It's a request for him to be what he is and do what he does. It's a request for his quality, his essence. Now, what in essence and quality is the Holy Spirit? Well, there's many things, but uh, John 16, 8 says he has come to convict the world. He is a convictor. He is a convincer. So Luke 11, if I could cut right to the chase, Luke 11, verse number 13, is praying for the Holy Spirit of God to be what he is and do what he does in the heart of someone we're concerned about. It's asking the Holy Spirit to convict them, convince them. 
The friends that would begin on your knees and say, God, my mother needs to be saved. God, convict her. Use that gospel tract. Now, obviously, if you're going to pray for Holy Spirit conviction, it assumes that you've been giving them the gospel. It assumes that you're, you've been giving them tracts, giving them gospel witness, and you're praying, Spirit of God, work on their hearts. Convict them, Lord. Deal with them. Lord, I pray that you use the, the word of witness that I spoke. That's the idea, bro. Remember years ago, I came to a church. I preached a whole message on Luke 11, this particular first 13 verses. There was a man uh, there who uh, had an unsafe wife. I came back to the church several years later. He came up to me and said, Brother Van Gelderen, he said, I wanted you to know, I began to pray for my uh, wife uh, using Luke 11, praying that God would bring Holy Spirit conviction into her heart. He said, I just wanted you to know that she's been saved. <laughs> you know, friends, you can pray with confidence about this. Do you know you could pray tonight for your next-door neighbor and say, Lord, I'm praying for Holy Spirit conviction. And the Bible says if God, if we being evil know how to get good gifts to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Now, ask is in the present tense, which means this is not a one-time request. In other words, you keep on asking. Now, why would we keep on asking? I'm going to tell you why we keep on asking. Because we want God to pour it on. <laughs> want him to convict today, convict tomorrow, convict the next day, convict next week, convict the next week after. That's the idea. You want God to continue to convict. So, number one, we've got to pray for Holy Spirit conviction. Do you pray for Holy Spirit conviction? Pray for it and expect it because the parable says he will rise. He will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So number one, pray for Holy Spirit conviction and expect it. You know, I'm afraid many times when we pray for lost people or even people to get right, we pray with a lack of expectation. But I believe there's some things we can pray with complete expectation that God will do. And one of them is Holy Spirit conviction. Now you say, well, will they get saved or not? Well, that's another discussion, and there's some, some things that we'd have to discuss that I don't want to dive into, but I will say this. The one thing you can be absolutely convinced of is that he will convict them. Now, we do know in Acts chapter 7, tragically, when God convicted, there were some people who resisted. They resisted the Holy Spirit. What a tragedy that is. But we, you know, the answer would there be, I'd say, Lord, keep pouring it on. God, keep it on. Don't let it stop. So number one, pray for Holy Spirit conviction. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Let's go to our second one here tonight, if we could. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And I want you to see a second point here in praying for people who have free will. Praying for beings of free will. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, and I want you to look at verse number 4. Again, my burden tonight is that God's word will stir faith in your heart, stir confidence in your heart, that your prayers are important. Now look what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Verse number four, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Do you realize, friends, that there are people all around Benita Springs that the reason they're lost is not because they don't know the gospel. They've heard the gospel. The reason they're lost is because they're deceived. Now think about this for a moment. I want you to think about this, and I realize there's more elements to this, than, and this is simplistic. Please understand that. But if I stood in the lobby tonight with a stack of $100 bills, and I said, no strings attached on the way out, if you'll just come up to me, I'll give you $100 bills. No strings attached. I just want to do it out of the goodness of heart. I got a bunch. Of, I found a bunch of $100 bills in Brother uh, Lytell's office, and I'd be glad to give these to you. I'm, I'm just teasing, but I just want to give you $100 bills. Now, why would you not take that gift? Well, basically, if you wouldn't take the gift, here's why you wouldn't take it. Uh, he's up to something. 
Yeah, there's some strings attached. Yeah, I'm sure it's, you know, and, and you'd, you'd rightly be skeptical. But if you were completely convinced that I was being generous and completely convinced that it was, uh, I was completely, uh, it was something completely above board, what would you do? You'd take it. You ever thought about how foolish it is to reject the gospel? We're sinners going to hell, and Jesus says he'll give us eternal life and sins forgiven if we just trust him? Why would you reject that? And the answer is, you reject it because you're deceived. Because your eyes are blinded, and the God of this world hath blinded them, uh, the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine, unto, should shine unto them. That brings me to point number two, friends. Number one, we've got to pray for Holy Spirit conviction. And number two, we've got to pray against the deception of the devil. You see, the God of this world is the enemy, and Satan is very effective of blinding people's minds, if we could put it this way, erecting citadels or strongholds of wrong thinking. Some people are going to hell and reject the gospel because they have bought into false religion. You know anybody like that? A lot of people are. Some people are bought into hedonism. Some people are bought into liberal thinking. And some people are brought into, into all kinds of crazy things that sometimes you're thinking, well, that was a new one. But the point is, they are all have the fingerprints of the devil on them. They are deceptions from the pit of hell. That's why they reject the gospel. So how do we pray? Well, obviously, this is I'm inferring something here. You've got to give them the truth. And you've got to be careful not to get off on a sidetrack. I tell people, when people start to debate you about something, just keep on the gospel. That's where the power is. Just keep giving them the gospel. In fact, um, uh, years ago, an evangelist was sitting on a plane and witnessing to a girl, and she was uh, one of those kind of intellectual types, and she said, yeah, how do you know this is true? And he looked at her and says, because right now, something inside of you is saying that everything I'm telling you is true, and you're on your way to hell, and you need Jesus. She began to cry and got saved. Okay. Years ago, there was a guy my dad was trying to win to the Lord, and my dad was younger at the time, and, and the guy would always have some, some argument. And my dad made the mistake early on of just, you know, he'd go to the guy, and the guy would say, what? and he'd try to argue with him, and it didn't seem to be getting any. So one day, he got burdened. I just got to go see this guy again. So he knocked on his door. He said, oh, preacher, he said, I'm really glad to see you. I've got a few more questions for you. Of course, my dad knew he wanted to argue. And my dad had learned something by this time, and he looked him in the, in the eye and said, let's just forget the arguing. You just need to get saved. Wouldn't you like to get saved? The guy began to weep and got saved. <laughs> the truth is, friends, we have an enemy, and he blinds minds, and he certainly tries to erect citadels of wrong thinking, and as a result of that, we have a battle, and the battle is against the enemy. So how do we battle the enemy? Well, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts. Because I do believe prayer, part of prayer, is battling the enemy. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard this part of the prayer? Uh, Jesus t t encourages us to pray this way. Thy will be done on earth, you help me out, as it is in... Got a question for you. Today, was God's will done in heaven? And the answer is, yeah, it was. Completely. 100% perfect. Got a question for you. Now, remember, when people sin, it's not God's will, okay? So was God's will done perfectly on earth? And the answer is, well, not when people sin. Now, have you ever thought about this? Samuel, remember what he said to Saul? God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. He didn't say, God forbid that I should sin against you in ceasing to pray for you. The greatest sin of prayerlessness is against God. You say, why, preacher, why? Do you know there's two great wills vying for what happens on this planet? It's God's will and Satan's will. You know, sometimes teenagers will say, hey, preacher, man. I'm not doing what God wants me to do, and I'm not doing what the devil wants me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. 
You know what I have to say? Sorry, you don't have that option. You're either going to do what God wants you to do, or you're going to do what the devil wants you to do. There is no third option. So we have an, an, uh, we have a, an enemy that is vying. God's will and Satan's will is always vying for what happens on this planet. You say, well, preacher, how does God's will get done? Now listen to this verse again. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth it. And if we know that he hears whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. That means when you and I come into union with the will of God in prayer, it's done deal. Satan's will is defeated, and God's will is done. That's why prayer is a sin against, prayerlessness is a sin against the Lord. You know that every single one of you, God has certain things you're supposed to pray with, come into union with the will of God, and when you come into union with the will of God, Satan's defeated. Have you ever wondered why Satan fights prayer so much? I'll tell you why he fights prayer. Because he knows the moment you come into union with the will of God, his will's defeated. He will do everything he can to keep you off your knees. And even when you do come into the will of God, he will try to battle the ground that you have taken. Remember Shammah of old who stood in the pea patch and fought? Listen, friends, when you and I come into the union with the will of God, the enemy's going to try to get that ground back, but you stand there and you fight it, so it's the will of God. I got it. I, Jesus said, I've already got it. So understand then, friend, it's, you've got Satan's will over here, God's will over here, and when we come into union with God's will, this is a remarkable thing. Satan's will is defeated. Now, why? Okay, you ever think about this? Okay, now I'm just kind of putting a bunch of things together. When Jesus gave us the Great Commission, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. You realize what that what statement, that statement is stunning. Because earlier in Jesus' life, Satan said, hey, hey, if you bow down to me, I'll give you the authority of all these kingdoms. Which means Jesus did get the authority. He didn't get it by bowing down to Satan. He got it because he conquered Satan at the cross, death, burial, resurrection. But all power is given to me. The word power there is the word, don't miss this, for authority. Now, authority power is a little different than intrinsic power, and certainly Jesus has intrinsic power, but the emphasis here is on authority. Now, here's the thing that I want you to understand. Jesus has authority over, all, over heaven and earth. All power in heaven and earth has been given unto Jesus. Jesus has authority over the realms of darkness. Now, another way we know that, because in Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says that when Jesus was exalted or ascended, he is far above all principality and power, might and dominion, every name that is named. Jesus right now sits in ascendancy and authority over the powers of darkness. Now, don't miss this, friends. Chapter 2 of Ephesians says, and we are raised up together with him in the heavenlies. So right now, I am in union with the one seated at the right hand. In a very real spiritual sense, right now, I am seated at the right hand in Jesus. And the enemy is below Jesus. That means he's below me because I'm in Jesus. He's not below me in and of myself. He's below me because I'm in Jesus who, who's, who's, who's above him, okay? You say, well, what are you getting all this for? Okay, I'm trying to put some things together here. So here we are in the one who has authority. Now, now this verse may make some sense to you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Help me out now. Resist the devil and what? Whoa. Which means. God gives me the privilege of exercising his authority in the enemy when I'm in union with him. Okay, let me give you an illustration of this. Okay, first of all, let's see what authority is. Let's imagine that you're a driver of a Big Mac truck. 
And you come down to an intersection where the stoplights went out, and there's a policeman that's been dispatched to the intersection. He's got white gloves on, got a whistle. And you're a Mack truck. You're bearing down on the intersection. The policeman blows the whistle, doesn't even hardly look at you, and he puts up that white glove. And uh, at that moment, you've got a decision. You either got to stop or keep going. And at that moment, you stop. You know why you stop? Because you know that if you keep going and you hit that policeman, he will destroy your Mack truck because he's got power. No, I don't think so. The reason you stop is not that you fear his intrinsic power. You fear the authority that is invested in him. And my friend, the devil doesn't fear you and me at all. But when you and I are in union with Jesus, I'm telling you, friends, he fears his authority. Now, let me give you another illustration to help this. Now, this never happened quite like this. This is one of those composite hypothetical illustrations, but I can remember vaguely things like this. You probably can as well. Let's imagine I'm 10 years old. I'm helping my mom cook dinner. I get the, de- the, the things, you know, help her set the table and, and maybe do a few other things. And then she finally says to me, okay, Jim, go get your brothers and sisters. It's time to eat. Well, you know how it is as a kid, 10 years old. Whoa, yeah, yeah. So you kind of walk up there a little cocky out of the back porch. Hey! It's time for dinner. Get in here. And you know what your brothers and sisters do? They did exactly what my brothers and sisters did. Nothing. They didn't even act like they heard me. So you get a little humble, you know. You kind of get a little humble. You kind of go down and look at it. Mom says that it's time for dinner. Now, in our house, that made a huge difference. Now, I was no longer speaking in my authority. I was speaking in my mother's authority. And I don't miss this, friends. I was speaking in Mama's name. When you speak in Jesus' name, you are speaking in union with his authority. The moment I did that, my brothers and sisters would come in. Not because they feared me, but because they, they knew my mother's authority, and they knew they better obey. Now, my friend, do you realize that Jesus sits in ascendancy and authority over the powers of darkness? And do you realize he is waiting for you and I to come in union with his will so that Satan's will is defeated? We have one of the greatest privileges on the planet, and yet, you know what I know? Many Christians just let it go and never use the authority we have because we're in union with Jesus. Now, you have to understand, it says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You cannot exercise authority you're not under. The reason many Christians are powerless to fight the devil is because they're not under the authority of God. When you are totally 100% God, I want you, I don't care what it is, whatever your will is, I want, I want to do it. Okay, when you're submitted to his authority, you can turn around and say, in Jesus' name, I don't want the enemy's will. You know, friends, I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. You and I can pray for unsaved neighbors saying, Lord, you know it's not your will for them to be deceived. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. You came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, Lord Jesus, in union with your authority, in Jesus' name, I resist the enemy in that life, and I'm in Jesus' name claiming the pushback of the enemy so that Satan's deception is seen for what it is. It's a prayer I believe God answered. It's a prayer where, friends, we submit ourselves to God's will, come into union with God's will, we resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I recognize when we deal with the devil, that sometimes people get a little nervous. And let me just simply say that anytime somebody's ministry is known for, there's, hey, there's a guy, and he, man, he's got a great ministry on spiritual warfare. I never want to be known as a ministry on spiritual warfare. You know why? Because I want the focus of my ministry to be Jesus Christ. I'm not focused on the enemy. I'm focused on the victor. <laughs> but this is satellite, what I call satellite truth. It's nonetheless in the Bible. 
So number one, pray for Holy Spirit conviction. Number two, pray using Jesus' name. That's what it means. To pray in Jesus' name is not saying for Jesus. No, praying in Jesus' name is praying in his authority. Why? Because you're in union with his will. That's praying in Jesus' name. And when you pray in Jesus' name, you got it. And I'll tell you, friends, God's saying, you submit to my will. You are, it's like this. I'll simply put I just put it out simply. Lord Jesus, I want your will, and I don't want the enemy's will. Personally, I don't address the devil. I just figure I'll let Jesus take care of that. But you'll uh, so see it clearly. Number two, pray against the enemy's deception, claiming a victory that's already been won. Now that brings us to a final point. Go to the book of Joshua. And I want to just share one more truth with you. One more truth, and we'll be done. Number one, pray for Holy Spirit conviction. Number two, pray, uh, pray against the enemy's deception. Pray uh, against satanic deception. Praying the enemy's defeat in Jesus' name. Number three. Now, this one's a little more practical, but it's one that um, hopefully will be a help. Number three, pray for hornets. Catch that? Pray for hornets. Now, I want you to look. I just said that, that the, the wing thing that stings, okay? I want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about because some people said, what, what did he say? What did he say? Okay, hornets, like wasps, like bees, okay? Play for hornets. Okay, you say, where's that in the Bible? Okay, look at verse number 12 of Joshua 24. Here's what it says. Three times in the Bible the word hornet is found. This is the third time. The other two times are saying they're going to come. This is the only passage where it says they did come. Look at verse 12. God speaking, and I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword nor with thy vow. I will tell you, friends, do you realize there were whole parts of the promised land that were cleared out, not by military conquest? Basically, God said, the land's too big, you can't conquer it all, so I'll tell you what, you do your part, trusting me every battle to give you the victory, which God they needed to do. But he said, there's a couple of areas I'm just going to take care of myself. And you know what he did? He sent hornets. Now, when he sent those hornets, God did not violate their free will. When those hornets came into the town, they had a legitimate free will decision. They could have said, I'm going to stay here. I could care less about the hornets. They could have done that. None of them were that dumb, but they could have been there. They could have done that. They just took off and they ran. They made a free will decision to live, leave, and it was just like a neutron bomb. They come in this area, and the infrastructure is all there. The wine presses, everything's just ready to be used. It's empty. There's nobody there. Why? Because the hornets drove them out. Many years ago, there was an evangelist. I always loved to hear him preach, and uh, his name was Paul Levine. Anybody old enough to remember Paul Levine? He was a great evangelist of yesteryear, and in his early days of ministry, he had a, a blind singer with him, Played the guitar. Uh, Paul Levine played the mandolin, and his name was Bob Finley. Anybody remember Paul and Bob? Anybody Paul and Bob? Okay, we got some. Remember Paul and Bob? Yeah. Oh, I love Paul and Bob. And and uh, uh, anyway, they had a song. Was their famous signature song? In fact, if you want to hear it tonight, just go on YouTube. You write Paul Levine or Paul and Bob and the Hornet song, and it'll come up. You can listen to the original recording. It'll have all the crackle of the, the old uh, record player. And, and uh, some of you that are a little bit older have to tell your grandkids what a record player is. But anyway, and uh, all the crackle on it and all that kind of stuff. So it's really retro, and it will just bring the fuzzies back to all of you. But, uh, uh, but anyway, they had this song called the Hornet song. And it, it, it relates to this particular event, and, but I love the chorus. It says, God does not compel us to go, oh, no. 
God never compels us to go. God does not compel us to go against our will, but he just makes us willing to go. I don't know about you, I think that's really good theology. <laughs> it's great theology. You know what praying for hornets is? Praying for hornets is saying, Lord, you know what it takes. You know, how in the world do we know? Does God know every man's breaking point? And the answer to that, I believe, is yes. Because he said to Chorazin and Bethsaida, if the mighty works had been done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. God knows every man's breaking point. So you know what hornets is? God, you know what it takes. You know what it takes? Now, I'm going to just warn you, praying for hornets can be pretty dangerous business. You might be praying for a wayward son, and you might be saying, Lord, I'm praying for hornets. And God may have to take his, he might be a paraplegic. And the question I would ask you, would you rather have your son with two good legs away from God, or would you have him in a wheelchair right with God? Because God knows. Now, don't get me wrong. God's not going to do anything that he doesn't have to do, but he does know what it's going to take. So sometimes even a mom or dad praying for a wayward son or daughter may be praying for their own premature death. And they've got to be willing to do that. That's hornets. So hornets, on a serious note, is really praying, Lord, you know what it's going to take. You do know what it's going to take for my next-door neighbor to get saved. God, whatever it takes. My mother's not saved. Oh, God, you know what it takes. Oh, God, work in their heart. Hornets simply praying, God, you know. You know their breaking point. You know Bethsaida's a chorus. And, and the amazing thing about that is he's talking about whole cities that are burning in hell. And he says, if this would have happened, they'd have gotten saved. That is stunning theologically. In fact, if nothing else, it teaches us, friends, God knows every man's breaking point, and it seems to indicate he wants everybody to come to the breaking point, and the thing that limits it, it may be our prayers, <laughs> and perhaps our outreach as well. So it certainly is stunning in its implication, but praying for hornets. Now, friends, um, I remember years ago right here, it would have been back uh, probably 20 years ago, I think our very first time we came here, in the, I guess it would be mid-90s, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, I think it was 96, so it would be almost, uh, almost 20 years ago. Uh, I remember some boys showed up here one night, and very first night of the war, and they just laughed their way through the message, just laughed. I didn't feel led to call them down. They weren't distracting too badly. It was clear it was a big joke. The next night they came back. They were sobered up a little bit, but they still were not, you know, they were still kind of smiling, looking at each other. And very, uh, At the very end of the meeting, I remember coming up to the three boys, and, and I said, guys, I said, um, I said, I, I want to uh, 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 explain something to you. Here's, here's how God works in your heart. I explained that he convicts of sin, righteousness, judgment, and I went through that. I said, is God doing that in your heart? And they said, eh, maybe a little. That's what they said. I said, would it be, uh, can I have your permission in the next 24 hours to pray that God's Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, righteousness, judgment? Would I, can I have your permission? And their answer was, yeah, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. It was kind of like they weren't real convinced it was going to work. Yeah, sure, whatever. You say, well, preacher, what, what would you have done if they said, no, we don't want you to? I'd have still done it, but I thought I'd get their permission, okay? And, and so I said, uh, and they said, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll never forget the next night. I remember I was preaching right over here, and I noticed while I was preaching, the guy in the center, the guy who was taller than the other two, he was, during the message, the other guys would be cutting up, and he'd be elbowing, shut up, shut up. And they'd go, oh, that's different. Gave the invitation. He was the first guy on his feet, went to the back, walked up to the team captain, and he was just pacing around. He said, man, he said, all I could think about today was the fact that I was going to hell. He said, I woke up in the morning. He said, all I could think about the fact that I was going to hell. He said, all day long. He said, I sat down to eat lunch. All I could think about was going to hell. There you go. God, 
God knows sometimes it'll take a longer. He got saved within 30 minutes. He was wonderfully born again. You see, friends, he will rise. Pray for Holy Spirit conviction. Pray against the enemy. And number three, pray for hearts. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just a simple message tonight, but one of which I will hope will encourage you in your prayer life. And I want to just um, tonight do one thing. and I know it's an unusual invitation, but I am going to just ask you, would you just briefly stand to your feet right where you are? Just stand to your feet. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And just a moment, I'm going to ask our instruments to begin to play. And as our instruments play, I'm going to ask this. If God has touched your heart, maybe I'll ask this even as a question. You can lift your hand. How many would say, you know, preacher, tonight God has stirred my heart, and I sense God burdening me to pray in a more serious manner, to use some of these biblical principles in praying for somebody that's either not saved or not right with God or both. Would you just raise your hand if you sense God doing that? Okay. You can put your hands down. Now, this is a little different invitation, so I'm going to just simply say, if I preach a message on prayer, I'm going to give you the invitation, and that is to do it. So I'm going to, in just a moment, ask as the instruments play, if God's touched your heart particularly about this, just to kneel right where you are and to lift up before the Lord those that God has laid on your heart. Maybe it's a son that's away from God, a daughter that's not right, an aunt and uncle, or a mom or a dad. I don't know who it could be. But you know, maybe a next-door neighbor, maybe a co-worker. I don't know. But somebody God has laid on your heart, I just invite you, and just as the instruments play, you just kneel. And you begin to pray, God, bring Holy Spirit conviction. I'm expecting you to do it. Lord, Satan's a defeated foe. Under your authority, Lord, in Jesus' name, under your, I'm, just, I'm commanding his pushback so that the deception will fall. Uh, those, uh, and then praying, Lord, Lord, hearts. So as the Lord would burden your heart to do so, as the instruments play, I invite you to kneel we are and do business with God about those he's laid on your heart.